Well, let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be in Revelation. That's the last book of the Bible, so just kind of flip to the end. Revelation chapter 11 and chapter 12. We're going to be uh, there. We'll have a couple of stopovers there as well. Uh, we've got a lot to cover today, so make sure that you stay up. If you're new, we've got a little note sheet in your program. Uh, just to take notes, you can see the scripture in a line beside it. Uh, write whatever God leads you to write. Doodle on that. It's up to you. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are in the last week of a series, uh, seven weeks, count them, uh, uh, of the second series. So in other words, last year we did a series, Revelation 1, uh, this was Revelation 2, the throne room of God. Next year we'll be doing Revelation 3. If you want to watch any of those previous, I encourage you to do that. Go ahead and download that app. Uh, this is a great way uh, to, uh, to stay up, uh, even go through it again. There's a lot of stuff that we've got to cover. Let me just say this before we get started. A couple of just housekeeping things. Uh, I, I want us to know as we're praying for that, uh, we wanted to honor today, uh, uh, just yesterday was Veterans Day. We just want to honor our veterans that protect us. Uh, I was thinking of our, our safety team here uh, that protects us, but then our safety team, so many of you uh, women and men I look out that have uh, been part of this. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Uh, let's just give them a hand uh, and say thank you, veterans. We love you. Thank you for protecting our freedom, uh, for being selfless uh, in uh, serving what you've done. Um, well, Loveland, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Greeley, uh, you guys are watching online too, are uh, on campus at UNC. We're glad that you guys are here. Go ahead and get your notes out. Uh, turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 11, chapter 12. Uh, uh, Loveland, uh, we're here. Uh, we, we love those guys over there, don't we? Let's give them a hand. They're listening online uh, today. So um, today takes place in two halves. Uh, and you can write just two halves at the top. We're going to look at both halves. We're going to have to move, so I'm going to talk a little bit fast. I know that's unusual. Uh, so we're going to, that's a little bit funny. Uh, but it's part of three parentheses we find in uh, Revelation. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago we covered the first parentheses, kind of a break in the action in the throne room of God. And then uh, in the next series we'll cover the third one but uh that one a couple of weeks ago you remember the 144,000 and the great multitude that god leads and just a it was a powerful week as we looked at that this week is a little bit different tells the story of what will happen in the future here now uh here's the challenges i started reading over this uh even a couple of years ago preparing for this day believe it or not uh theologians regularly start out uh, when their commentaries on this they'll say hey uh this this section of scripture as particularly 11 and 12 are two of the hardest scriptures uh to interpret well that didn't help because then you're like worried you're like everybody's going oh no what are we going to do listen as i look at it i think the holy spirit is going to speak to us today because we hear this question a lot um why cover revelation like I, I talked to a brother in christ today a good brother he goes uh, uh actually this week and he said i don't understand uh why we're supposed to study revelation he goes like i get it it's god's word but like if it's gonna happen why should i study it to begin with and and i thought about that i would thought about it before uh and, and as we began to uh, talk about it just a little bit he was like well I thought this happened I go no 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 that's not that's not the way it works he goes well I, I haven't studied it really he goes but why should I if it's just gonna happen and here's the answer you already know the answer to this we said it as we started this series because we need to get ready not just to be ready when it happens but we need to get ready and we need to get this world ready but a second reason that's kind of related to that, uh, God says, I want to use this book to refine you. Uh, he, he promises in chapter 1 and in chapter 22, he says, if you read the words of this book, you will be blessed, right? 
And so that's what we've done. We've gone carefully, verse by verse, from chapter 1 and, and part 1 all the way through, and we're going verse by verse because we're reading it out loud because we want the Word of God to get down inside us and change whatever He's going to change. Amen? You guys are just going to have to help me out. Uh, Greeley, they're just feeling a little dead today in love. Amen? Amen? Because this is going to be big today. What you're going to see is some very powerful things out here. There's really four things I want uh, you to look at. Now, these aren't our four safety deals. Let's, let's review those right quick. Whenever you study, as I've said, come every week. That one's kind of gone away since this is the last week. But uh, the second one is there's tons of imagery in this, especially the second half of today. Lean into the imagery. Because the imagery, kind of the scary looking stuff that looks weird, really tells a story that takes us deeper into the meaning. Does that make sense? But then the third thing is forget what you have associated with these scriptures because here's why. A lot of people have bad teaching on Revelation. Because it's usually kind of crackpots or, or even cults that take this and bend this stuff. So I'm saying, let Scripture interpret Scripture uh, as we do this. But then the fourth thing is, even if you disagree with everything I say, uh, I, I want you to say, don't let this divide us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know what I mean? Is let's look at this, and it's okay on open-handed things, non-essentials, for us to disagree. And so we've looked at that all three, but here's four things I want you to look at specifically about this week. This chapter, and you may want to write this down, this chapter is essentially a Jewish chapter, chapter 11. It means it's written for the Jewish uh, community in particular uh, because it focuses on Jerusalem and specifically on the temple and how it plays in and the temple mount. Uh, second thing is this is a prophetic chapter means it hasn't happened yet but will happen in the future this is like classic uh, what you think of as revelation something that's going to take place make sense it's not meant to be taken figuratively it is meant to be taken literally now i know you get confused on that because everyone gets that wrong don't they because people say that li that literally killed me no that'd still be figurative because you're telling me right now. You know what I mean? So this is literal. This is prophetic. It's in the future. Look at this. Uh, look at number three. Most of the first chapter is to be interpreted literally, not figuratively. Uh, that's one I read. Okay. Um, number four. But the second chapter today is figurative, not literal today. It is the exact mirror in how it's told, not the same story, but what it does is it's a, a vision and it, it drives to the very heart of the meaning of something that you do every year. We'll get to that. Uh, so let's get started. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, uh, God, we just have so much to cover. Um, I want to say so many things, but guard my lips to speak only what you want me to speak. Um, God, I pray that your words penetrate deep into our hearts, that your word would get down to where it needs to be. It's in Jesus' precious name we all prayed and said. We get ready to see the end of the seven trumpets. You remember there were seven seals on the deed to the earth. Uh, Jesus opens one by one. That's all taking place in the throne room of God, God on the throne, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, millions and millions of angels, millions and millions of Christians around the throne. This has been taking place. The, the, Jesus is opening these seals one by one, but then the seventh seal is seven trumpets, and then we've spent uh, the last couple of weeks going through these seven trumpets. We're going to see the end of that today. This is how this starts off. John is given this tremendous new vision uh, to see into the future. He's in the temple of God, but this is now the temple, and you may want to write this down on the first line. This is a new temple on earth. You write new temple on there, on earth. Now remember, God was writing when, uh, I'm sorry, when John is writing this vision from God, the uh, temple at that time still stood. 
It was torn down by the Romans in A.D. 70. In fact, they stepped, stacked so much wood around it, uh, they burned it so hot, they think somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 degrees that it shattered the, uh, the marble. So there wasn't even a stone left on top. It was just kind of gravel. on. And so all that's left now is this mount. Uh, there's a mosque on there. You see that? But this is looking into the future uh, is what it's saying here. Look at Roman, I'm sorry, Revelation 11, chapter 1. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. John says, I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship. Now, I want you to hang here for just a second. He's saying, get up. So the voice is telling John, he gives him this rod. He says, measure. Here's the thing. It's not the size that he's measuring. I want you to write, it's the reality that he is measuring. Because here's what we see. Whenever you talk about a rod, you're talking about two things, like a shepherd's staff. It is the defending of God's people, but it's also the correcting of God's people. That's what he's given here. And he's saying, I want you to go measure this temple. Now, we're going to find out this is a new temple. He says, uh, the temple of God and the altar and those who worship. I want you to understand that he's saying this is a real place, real things real people you with me he's saying you can measure you can you can you can touch what they're saying he says but do not measure the court outside the temple leave that out in other words we're just going to talk about the temple or it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city look at this for 42 months you don't have to worry too much about that right now we're going to see that theme come back do you know what 42 months is you're going to see this three and a half years. That's it, right. The temple will be rebuilt. Here's what I want you to see. You can write it down. The temple will be rebuilt by the Jewish community and they will build it for God without knowing God. Does that make sense? They're going to build it. They're going to be directed to build it for God without knowing God personally, especially in a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'll have to tell you this. We're going to cover a lot of ground here. Uh, this is, we saw the Antichrist, not Christ, but uh, Satan's version is going to build this temple early on. He's going to use it as a seat of power, and he's going to rule from this place. Now, here's what I think. This is an open-handed, non-essential thing, but interesting nonetheless. How does this guy, Antichrist, come into power? Here's just my thought. I've studied a lot on it. Because of what we talked about a few weeks ago with the rapture, but more specifically, uh, those seals and the trumpets, the judgments of God, the world's going to be in tough shape really quick during the tribulation. That's why we call it the tribulation, right? And, and so, you guys are fast. I, anyway, this guy, the world's in tough shape, so this guy kind of stands up. He's a leader. He puts the, he puts the uh, world back in order. He's making the trains run on time. He's making stuff work. Everybody goes, woo, man, finally, someone steps up to lead this place. And Israel, you know, it's always, everybody's against Israel. He's going to make, this is kind of looking into the future a little bit in part three, but he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel, and he's going to bring peace specifically to Jerusalem. Now, I know that's crazy sounding, but he's going to be loved, and I think one of the things he's going to do is to say he's going to build the temple. Not like we think of like stacking stones, but I think he's going to build it fast. It's going to be beautiful, but it's going to be modern construction, but it will look old. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about this guy, the Antichrist. Look at it. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together with him, I got to get this. Uh, he, he's saying, to Christians in the church in Thessalonica, some of them have gone, well, has Jesus come back? Did we miss it? And he's saying, no, 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 relax, relax. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word. In other words, like a thought or someone shakes you, he goes, don't worry, Jesus has not come back for his church. 
or a letter seeming to be from us. They have been getting letters from false prophets, uh, false apostles, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat, look at this, in the temple of God. This is the new one. Proclaiming himself to be God. He's going to say, I'm, I'm God, I fixed everything, and by the way, I'm building you a temple, and eventually he'll take the seat and say, by the way, I'm God. And everybody go, whoo, that is good. That guy put it all back together. Does that make sense? I know, people are going, no way, it doesn't make sense. All right, Antichrist will set himself up, right? Call himself God. I think that's what the Antichrist himself will have, why he'll have the building con, uh, construction. Now check this out. Um, look at verse 3, back to Revelation. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. He's taken on a new picture. This is the first half here. I will grant my authority. Who is this? God is saying this, I'll grant my authority to my two witnesses. Here's what I want you to see. Uh, what are these witnesses to do? They will pro and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, we're about to get freaky here. Uh, this is going to be cool. You're going to love this. But look at the imagery. It's two dudes that are going to witness for God on earth. And he gives two pictures. He says they are two olive trees. The picture is they're standing there and they are bringing up sap in them and producing what do olive trees do? Produce olives. Man, you guys are sharp. And that's, that's what they do. What, do olive, what are olives used for? You make, you make oil. It's done for a lot of things. Some people are like, olive oil. But you, you, can make, uh, you can make fuel for light. This is the other picture. Lampstands, that's what they would put in the olive oil, would put in the lampstand, and they would produce light. So produce fruit and produce light. God would work through them to produce light. That's what we do when we witness. This is huge here. Notice what they're going to wear. They wear sackcloth because they are mourning the spiritual condition of God's people. Remember, this is a Jewish chapter. They're saying, Jewish people, the Hebrews, they're saying, we're going to wear sackcloth, these black bags, in other words. They're called olive trees and lampstands. They're going to be light, but they're going to be kind of shabbily dressed. Now, show that they are indeed God's witnesses. Watch what God allows them to do. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and consumes their foes. Now, let's just, let's just get this out of the way. This is just weird. It's just weird. But I want this power. Because this, right, this is like anybody gets in my way, I'm just going, pop. You know, it's like it, it consumes. anybody tries to hurt them, harm them, fire pours forth from their mouth. Now, this could be some kind of other picture here, but we think this is literal, not figurative. People want to hurt them. Why? Look at this. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. People will want to harm them. Why is that? I want you to see. Because they have the power to shut up the sky. That no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. You see what's happening? Now we're not sure if this is just for, uh, just for Israel or it's worldwide. We just don't know. I tend to think worldwide. But they're there prophesying at the temple area, the temple mount. And they're saying, no rain. Because of God's judgment, people are getting mad. There doesn't take long for people to go, hey, they're saying that no rain because of this. A, people don't like to have their sins pointed out, do they? If you're just, if you're unclear on that, just 
find someone that's sinning out in the world and just later point that out to them. You know, and that's what, that's what they're doing. I'm just kidding, don't do that. Uh, you know, they're pointing that out, and then these people that are having their sins pointed out are going, hey, these people said there's no rain, and there's no rain. They're getting upset with these two witnesses. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. Now you saw this a few weeks ago and last week, this theme of blood. We don't know if these lakes and rivers and streams uh, are actual blood or is it kind of like a red tide or is it an algae bloom? The point is the color is always associated with red blood here. It could be actually blood. They strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. So they're like going, doo, doo, doo. hey, I think, I think I'm going to strike them with, uh, you know, those gnats. Uh, let's bring the gnats or the frogs or whatever. They're just like, whatever they go, God goes, okay, we'll do it. They've been given tremendous power. Now, here's what I want you to see. Verse 7, and they have finished, and when they have finished their testimony... In other words, there is a time for this. And when they have finished that, it's going to be powerful what happens. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Now, this is the first time we brought up the word beast. And everybody just take a deep breath and go... Because this is the thing that you go, man. You know, finally, week seven. Well, this is the first time it's mentioned. Who's the beast? We can see, remember last week when Satan falls and falls to earth and he's been given the key to the abyss or the bottomless pit. This is one of the fallen angels that is let out. And yet, there'll be a man involved, the Antichrist as well. I want you to see this. And he's given power, will make war on them. Who's them? The two witnesses conquer them and kill them. Everybody's been trying to kill these guys and no one can. Uh, this is interesting. People uh, say, who are these two guys? Who are these two guys? Here's the answer. We don't know. We don't know. That's the closed-handed answer. Open-handed, there's one of three possibilities in my mind. One is just some Old Testament prophet that we have no idea of, two, or two Old Testament prophets. A lot of theologians, because of the type of things, uh, being able to call fire down, and uh, will say it's Elijah and Moses. You can write that down. They are not reincarnated. They are brought from heaven to earth. Are you following me? So who do I think it is? I think it's Elijah and Enoch. This is open-handed. This is like from the book of my own opinion, right? You know, and you go, why? why? Why those two? Because they're the two that never died. Both Enoch walked with God and was no more. God took him. He was holy. He was a man of God. Had he sinned? Yes. But he wasn't like Jesus. But Elijah was the other one. And what do we know? It's appointed once every man to die, right? These two were taken at those points in the Old Testament to be brought down with the intention of them being the two people. Don't let things divide us on this, but I want you to see. Look what happens to the bodies of these two as they are killed. And their dead bodies, the two witnesses, will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called... Sodom in Egypt. Hang on. We know this is Jerusalem. Why? Because the next line, where their Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? Just say it out loud. Jerusalem, right? Why say these two? God's insulting them. He's going, two horrible enemies. He said, I'm going to call you like Sodom as in Sodom and Gomorrah and Egypt, which you were you were in prison there. He's saying, I'm going to call them symbolically that. But it's Jerusalem. Here's what you need to see. Their bodies are laying in Jerusalem. The two witnesses are hated so bad, when they die, 
People are like, Woo, we have been trying to kill those guys and they had the fire, but finally the Antichrist, this beast, if you will, has killed them and they were powerless to stop it. But what do we know? They were, they were powerful, but God allowed them to be killed, right? In God's sovereignty, they're killed. Now, to refuse to be buried for any culture is horrible. For you students of history, you'll remember Mussolini. You remember uh, our veterans. You remember when they were uh, Black Hawk down, that kind of thing. You know, paraded through the streets, right? They're like going, hey, let's make fun of them. Their dead bodies are laying there. Let me just say, dead bodies in the Middle East in the sun don't do well. They begin to rot. They begin to decay. They're dead. Now let me freak you out a bit. You're like, about? Hang on. This may not have anything to do with this, but July of 2017, the nation of Israel, the government said, so much happens on this Temple Mount that we get blamed for, but it's really Muslim extremists. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to install video cameras so that the entire world can see what's going on anytime. Make sense? So they can't blame us. They have to blame whoever's doing their deal. Keep that thought in mind. This is right now where we are. Look at verse 9. For three and a half days from the peoples, some from the peoples and tribes and languages uh, and nations will gaze at their dead bodies. Let me ask, how? How can people from all over the world see these dead bodies all at once? Well, in the past, they didn't know why. Because they had no idea what the internet was called. Or that it would exist. Yeah, it should make the hair on your neck stand up. Because not until 1948 did the nation of Israel exist again. God is setting up the end times. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you with me? So the whole world will gaze at their dead bodies. They're going, woohoo! Man, finally, these guys have called all this stuff and refused to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange gifts and go, hey, you're going over, hey, I'm going over to a party and I just brought, you know, stopped by Best Buy and just got you something. Why? Well, those guys are dead. Have you seen a look? It's on my phone. And you go, whoo, man, I love those guys are dead. The whole world's going, holiday, let's have a little cheer. Those guys are finally dead. Because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Man, this is just crazy. Up until this point in history, this could not happen, but today it can. The whole world can see it, right? Here's what I want you to see in verse 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from who? God came in, entered them, and they stood up on their feet. Everybody's got their, their iPad. They're like going, Whoo, yeah, man, I'm loving this. What? This, is, this doesn't happen. This is, this is like a picture of creation again. The, the breath of God is breathed into these dead, rotting bodies that are there in the street, and suddenly they stand up. What I'm telling you is that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And yet it's saying, hey, measure it. Measure it. It's going to happen. And great fear fell on all those who saw them. This is like the biggest understatement, right? It's like the, you think, you think? Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. Now we're not sure in 12 if everyone hears this voice or just the two prophets. I think just the two prophets are seeing this. Now I, I, I get so jazzed when I read this thing. Notice that when God breathed his life into that physical flesh, they come back alive. And let me tell you, this is a picture of what, ooh, I'm going to cry. This is what happens when, when we are forgiven by Jesus. Our body comes to life. We were dead spiritually. We stand up and go, whoo, God has breathed life into me. 
They see this. The parenthesis is almost over. Look at these, these two witnesses. They go back up. But then something amazing happens. And at that hour, when they go up, come up here, there was a what? A great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell. A tenth means 10%, right? You guys that are bad at math, right? And 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. This is in the city. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to God, the God of heaven. What's interesting is uh, for years, uh, Jerusalem, after the temple fell and uh, during like the Middle Ages, uh, you know, they fought over Jerusalem, but it was relatively still small. It's only now that Jerusalem has gotten big enough for this to even make sense. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. The city falls, a great earthquake happens. Uh, the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. You remember, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not that. It's three woes, the last three trumpets as they sound. Look at this. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. You go, whoo, ay, ay, ay. The seventh trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. What's happening is they're starting the party early back in the throne room of God. Because what has happened? They're saying, we're going to celebrate the kingdom of the world. What's that? This place that you're sitting on right now is the kingdom of the world, has become the kingdom of our Lord. This is a future thing, right? I want you to understand this. Why? Because this world doesn't belong, it's not under the ruling power of Jesus right now. This is a future preview of the coronation of the heavenly perspective. This is a foreshadowing, if you will, will cover when Jesus comes back in part three to the world. Right now, as we speak, the kingdoms of this world do not belong to Christ. That is when I'm asked, and I go, Paul, why, why so many bad things happen in the world? Because Satan rules this place. Brothers and sisters, you are caught behind enemy lines. Do you hear me? People say, hey, last week, if, if God's so powerful, why couldn't prayer stop those bullets? I can say God's sovereign. I know of pastors, though, that went and prayed and gathered around. They were there that day. The town was invaded by brothers and sisters in Christ that gave the love of Christ. But why was the evil there? Because we live in an evil world and God's about to bring the end. Amen? He's about to bring the end. I believe that with my whole heart. But how long? How long? Look at this. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. He's saying, it started. It has started. And yet it is not finished, is it? They give thanks in this verse, you're going to see a preview of this, of what the whole Bible, all of Revelation can be summed up in this next verse. Here it is. The nations raged, but your wrath came. They're singing this, by the way. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints. That's you. And those who fear you, fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying of the destroyers. He's saying the nations rage, but you came. He ends the verse, he says, I'm going to, you're going to destroy the destroyers on earth. It may be now, but destruction is coming for evil. Amen? Amen. This is important to understand. 
We're not there yet. The end is summed up. But then look at verse 19. Something out of the Old Testament that has been missing uh, from the Old Testament time, it's been missing, is showing up in heaven. People ask me all the time, they say, "Ah, well, all the time. I'd say people that study this kind of stuff, they say, where is the Ark of the Covenant, the, the mercy seat of God? Here it is. Then God's temple, this isn't the earthly temple, this is God's temple, the real one, in heaven was opened. And the Ark of His Covenant was seen within His temple. God has taken that Ark there. He's taken the Ark. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. i got to tell you, I don't know what this means, but it scares me. It's the awesomeness of God, the glory of God that's happening there. As we see this stuff happening, the Ark of the Covenant contained two tablets of stone that had been written on. Remember the Ten Commandments, God's handwriting there? It had a a container full of manna. God's provision had been put into that just to remind them God took care of you in the desert. You remember that to the Hebrew people? And what else was in there? There was a staff, a rod similar to the measuring rod He had used that had budded and had grown almonds from this dead stick of wood. They're all in that ark. They're all there. Uh, And this is what I want you to see. All of these represented God's true care for his jewish people his people he took care of them he says you were created as a nation for my purpose brothers and sisters in christ i want you to hear the same thing you were created for a purpose just like the the israeli people you have been grafted in you were created for that purpose for our second section today don't worry, this won't take too long in our series. I, I want us to look closely with just a few verses from chapter 12. If you remember, we began our entire series with chapter 12 when Satan says, I think I could be God. And there was war in heaven. It really wasn't too much of a war because God's all-powerful. Satan is limited. He's thrown down to where? Earth with a third of his angels. That story is told over and over over again, both Old and New Testament. Now, it's still a couple of weeks out from Christmas season starting. Some of you just got a little throw up right in the back of your throat, right? You know, like you just go, hey, what? It's like getting Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it's coming up. But I want to give you a picture. Remember I said this last, that last chapter 11 was literal. This is figurative. It's the Christmas story is contained in it. But it's not going to look like any Santa you've ever seen. John writes down this new picture. It is like they're in the throne room and yet God is showing a new vision and the vision's not on earth. It is not on in the throne room. It's like they're watching some kind of movie, if you will. Chapter 12, verse 1, look. Two signs. A great sign appeared in heaven. This is the first sign. A woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet. Now here's, I want you to write down on that line there. A woman appears. And on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Some of you are going, it's getting freaky in here right now. Remember, lean into the imagery, not away from it. The imagery helps us explain who she is she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains the agony of giving birth now you women you say amen you know this you know you know i've always been told hey don't say ask if someone's pregnant right don't ever ask don't ever ask that but apparently she's pregnant why because she's also not just big tummy out there but she's giving birth like the birth pains are coming and he's going whoa they're coming they're coming who is this woman who is this woman this is not a real woman you can write that down this woman represents israel the hebrew people 
the nation. This is why this is described in the book of Isaiah this way, 750 years before Jesus is born, says this, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pains, when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. What are they saying? What is this Scripture saying? He's saying, our people are like this because of you, O what? Lord. He's talking to God. Our people are like this woman. This woman was the first sign. She is about to have a baby, but not just any baby. The woman represents this nation of Israel, right? And in a person, you can think, you can think it comes down to a whole nation, down to a little teenage girl named Mary. She is the physical person that gives birth to who? Jesus, the Christ. This is what it's talking about, but there's a problem. Here's the second sign, huge sign. Here it is. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Numbers tend to have meanings in there. What do we say about the number seven? It means complete right this is the beast this is the dragon this is satan that you're seeing but why does he have seven heads seven heads typically represents power but national power seven nations are represented here in other words he's controlling seven nations remember this is not literal this is figurative to show us something deeper and on his head, seven diadems. Diadems are the crowns. In other words, these are the ruling powers of seven nations in here. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. You got what this picture is, don't you? These are the angels that followed him. A third of the angels fell in that great battle. This is the same chapter when it says it explicitly, a third of the angels fell. These are demons. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Somebody say, ooh, this is like nasty, isn't it? Notice the dragon is this picture there is standing before, but the one thing I want you to see is the dragon is ready to devour this child the moment he comes on the scene. The problem is the dragon doesn't know when he's coming on the scene. So he's been watching, going, is he here? Where is he? Now, I know this promised one, this Christ is coming, but I'm going to stop it. That's what the dragon is thinking. And so all through history, all over the world, he's going, where is it coming? I know it's probably coming from the Hebrews. I, I know it's probably coming from this area, this Bethlehem, but he doesn't know when. And he's not all powerful like God is. He has limited power, but he's got all these fallen angels here. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 5, the first half, she gave Birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This doesn't mean he's mean. It means the rod will never break. His ruling scepter will last forever and ever. Does that make sense? She gave birth to this child. If this sounds familiar, it's talking about Jesus' birth foretold 750 years before uh, Jesus is born. You remember these words? Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Christ has been born. You thought it was about holly, Christmas lights, but I can tell you this is a supernatural uh, struggle. Or maybe this sounds familiar. Luke 2.8 And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Folks, this is Christmas. Jesus was born. The dragon Satan had been watching Him from, time, uh, from the time that human history started. Herod was told by three wise men, we think, they said, we've come to your land because, why? We've seen a star in the sky and it means that there's going to be a king born. Where is this king? Here he goes, I don't know what you mean. But when you find him, come back and tell me. Why? He says, because I want to worship him. What did he really want to do? Kill him. Why? Because the dragon wanted to kill him. Do you understand? The dragon was waiting for the woman. He's like going, she's about to give birth any minute. I'm going I'm to catch that baby and kill that baby. I want to devour it so that you and me would remain under his lock and key. You see where I'm going? Who are these, who are these nations? Well, I can think of Egypt. I can think of Persia. I can think of Babylon, I can think of Greece, and I can think of the fifth, Rome. Talking about the seven heads. There are two more. Who are they? They are, you have to come to the next series. Now, you see why Herod was so awful, right? You see why he said, okay, well, I'm going to go and said, uh, the, the wise men said, we're not going to go back to them. He was, they were warned in a dream, so we'll go and, and back this other way. And, and uh, Herod finds out that they had tricked him. What does he do? He goes, well, I'll just handle it the old-fashioned way. Uh, I'm going to kill every baby boy born in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. But Mary and Joseph had been warned in a dream. He lives his entire life on earth. He lives a sinless life. Jesus does, and look what he does then at the end. Um, I'm sorry, look at this, Matthew 2, 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region who were under two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Jesus lives his life. And at the end of his life, he's crucified, he's buried, but he is raised back to life on the third day. Amen? He, he lives for 40 days uh, talking to his followers, appearing with them. And then at the end, Luke 24, 50 says this, And he led them out as far as Bethany, outside the city of Jerusalem, and lifting up his hands, blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and that's why revelation says in the second half of verse five but her child was caught up to god and to his throne that's good news we end our series with this verse verse six the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. You see that. What does that mean? This is now looking into the future again. Looking into the tribulation, the wilderness here. We don't know, but we think it's in a 
place east of there where God says uh, the um, beast will not get to into the wilderness east of Jerusalem. But some have speculated it could be in these areas of where like Ammon, Edom uh, is there. Here's what happens. Let me give you a little hint. The Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, stops temple worship in that new temple, and sets himself up to be God in that temple. Uh, section 3, part 3 of this next series will be all about from that point to the very end. It's going to be powerful to see. Here's what I want to, you to walk away with today. We started this series with one thought. It's not to give you a bunch of knowledge, but to prepare your heart. And you go, well, well Paul... Well, if we're gone, I, I believe, although there are good Christians that don't believe this, I believe that Christians will be raptured and go home to heaven before the tribulation. So why do we need to know this? Here's why. God wants to do something in your heart this year. Over the next few weeks, you're going to see something uh, very powerful happen in this church. We have a very special week next week. Then Thankful Sunday kicks off the kind of the holiday season. Holiday simply means holy days. Did you know that? As we go through this time, here's what I want you to do is let these words sink into you. What does God want Christmas to mean to you this year? What are you supposed to be doing right now? I've got to tell you, as I've read and gone through as, as your pastor in this, something dramatic has taken place in my heart. The level of worship has changed. Who God is has changed. You see, we all suffer from something. Spiritual blindness. We think we know what we look like. But it is not until we look face to face into the word of God we start to understand who we really are what I'm excited about is there are men starting to lead their families in this church there are women that are starting to wake up to deep relationships in this church with other women there are families starting to come every week some people some people have placed church above sports I don't know what happened but what's happening is I think the Holy Spirit is starting something right here. Would you take the next few weeks between now and the end of the year to say, God, I want to see who I am. Prepare me. Build this church into the church you want it to be. Let's pray.